Today is Palm Sunday. In the church calendar, you know, it's, it's that day where we remember and, and uh, the, um, the first Palm Sunday. It's that day where we kick off Holy Week. I loved Palm Sunday as a kid. It was fantastic because, you know, growing up, Palm Sunday, basically the entire children's ministry was transformed into a gigantic leafy bush. You know, you would have all of the kids with, with palm fronds of some sort, you know, that they would be carrying. Uh, and if they didn't have a, a branch to carry, there was a craft. You made one, you know, with popsicle sticks that you, you painted, painted green and maybe threw a, a little glitter on it. Everyone wore green. You know, it rivaled St. Patrick's Day in terms of the wearing of green by a collective. I mean, Palm Sunday is fun. You know, there's something, too, about Palm Sunday that it always has a celebration feel to it. This, where we, we sing, as we did this morning, right? Sing Hosanna. We sing songs to the King. We, we remember, we reenact that, that first Palm Sunday. That, that day when Jesus entered triumphantly into, into Jerusalem. It's great. But I wonder sometimes... If in our celebration of Palm Sunday, we miss somewhat the role Palm Sunday played in this unfolding of the final week. If we miss what was happening at that first Palm Sunday. I wonder sometimes as we, as we are rightfully excited about the start of Holy Week, that the message of Palm Sunday as a message that anticipates in many ways the events that are going to unfold, how, how Palm Sunday bleeds into the rest of the Passion Week, if we miss that. So here's what I'd like us to do today. We're going to look at Palm Sunday. And we're going to spend some time, you know, uh, making sure that we have a good grasp and understanding of the events that are happening and, and why they are happening. And then how these events are anticipating and informing and, and um, contributing to the next series of events that occur. And also I want us to consider Palm Sunday as a cautionary tale, as a, as a note of caution to us today. So with that, let's turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. If you're using your pew Bible, you'll find that on page 977. Matthew 21, we'll be looking at the first 11 verses. Matthew 21, beginning with verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. 
This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of the Lord. As Matthew's gospel is unfolding, we come to chapter 19 and Jesus begins his trip to Jerusalem. Now this isn't the first time he goes to Jerusalem. The gospel of John uh, tells us there are at least three visits into Jerusalem. But this is the final time. This is the last time he will enter into the holy city. And so with with Matthew chapter 19, he begins this journey towards Jerusalem. And then when we come to chapter 21, he is at the threshold. Jesus is at the threshold of this final entry into the holy city. He's at the threshold of the final days that will complete his ministry here uh, on earth. He's, He's at the threshold of the passion. And in, in approaching that, uh, he gives some very clear instruction of how he wants to enter into it. And as we, as we look through Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, really the, the structure of it is, is fairly straightforward. The first set of verses present the preparation for how Jesus wants to enter. And the, the second set show the execution of this preparation. And so here is Jesus. He is approaching Jerusalem. Uh, He's nearing the village of Bethpage. Bethpage would have been uh, roughly on the southeast side of Mount of Olives, just east, about a mile east of Jerusalem. And they're approaching this village. And Jesus says to two of his disciples to go into the village, and there they will find two beasts. They are to take those beasts, bring them to him. And if anyone, you know, asks what they're doing, they're to tell them that the Lord needs them. Now, it's interesting here. Does does Jesus have a sort of divine revelation here, a a prediction that he knows uh, something that can't be known? He knows that at a distance there are two beasts, And that he wants those two beasts, that he is requisitioning them? Or is this the outpouring of a a plan he has made? Has he already set in motion to have two beasts waiting for him? You know, is this this Jesus the planner? You know, we see something similar later on in Matthew, and Jesus will send disciples to go to a man who is, will be hosting the Last Supper. And so it's also possible that what we see here is, is Jesus planning. Well, maybe it is something grander than that. Regardless, the sense is the same. 
There is an intentional choice. Jesus is in control. How Jesus is going to enter in Jerusalem is exactly how he wants to enter in to Jerusalem. And we'll see this play out through the entire week. How Jesus is in control. He takes the initiative in these final days. And this is how he wants to enter into Jerusalem. He wants to enter into Jerusalem on this Passover festival week. He wants to come in riding a donkey on the colt, on the foal of a donkey. And Matthew tells us why. With, with verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. You're reading through Matthew, you'll see that phrase quite a lot. Matthew uses this language of to fulfill what was spoken ten times. Ten times Matthew uses that formula. This is the ninth occurrence of the ten times. And, And each time that Matthew uses the language of to fulfill... It has a a very significant and specific way. It isn't simply that there is, uh, in the past, a prediction that is now taking place, that is now coming true. It's more than that. When Matthew uses the language of to fulfill, it's always in context, it's always in the concert of Jesus fulfilling The story of Israel, of Jesus fulfilling the story of God and his people, of him recapitulating the story of Israel. In other words, this language of fulfillment is about how the entire plan of God, that his great plan of salvation is coming to its fulfillment, to its apex, to its conclusion, to its climax, to its meaning. The great plan of God from Adam to the promises of Abraham, to the giving of the law, to the establishment of the Davidic kingly line, to the, uh, the end of the exile. All of that is coming to its fulfillment in Jesus. So when Jesus asks and we, uh, to come in and says he wants to come in and, and requisitions these beasts. It is in fulfillment of God's great plan. So what is this reference? What is this great plan? And this, this comes from, as we read earlier, from Zechariah 9.9. And, and I'd like us to, to look at that passage. So if you would uh, put a marker, put a a finger, a a palm frond if you have one, you know, here in in Matthew 21, and and turn to Zechariah 9.9. You'll find that on page 944 in the Pew Bible. Let's look at Zechariah 9.9. Again, page 944 if you're using a Pew Bible.
Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah 9 is a fantastic chapter. If you, if you get a chance today or later on this week, spend some time reading Zechariah 9 and what follows. It's, it's, a, it's a vivid presentation of the power of God. See, Zechariah 9 is, is depicting that great moment when God will come and, and, and save his people and judge the enemies of his people. Zechariah 9 presents this great, wonderful God moment when salvation will come and judgment the enemies. The the, the way the nations are depicted in Zechariah 9 and following is is so informative into the power of God. It depicts Judah being used as a bow by God. It depicts another nation being used as the arrow by God. Greece being a sword that God wields. His sovereign power. And this this language of judgment and salvation includes a judgment against those wicked shepherds, those wicked kings and priests of Israel who have misled his people. And and part of this depiction in Zechariah 9 is 9-9. That this great moment, this great moment is this day when the king comes gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus deliberately wanted to enter into Jerusalem this way. This was the picture that Jesus wanted to show. This was what he wanted to demonstrate was happening. That when Jesus enters Jerusalem this final time, it is Zechariah 9-9 entering Jerusalem. It is this great day that brings salvation and judgment. Jesus wants to enter in with Zechariah 9 in his wake. Now, during this time... In, in, in uh, first century Judaism, Zechariah 9, 9 became part of the messianic expectation, became part of this um, thought milieu, this, this desire that there would come a king who would rescue the people from Rome or from whatever stately power and would establish that kingly rule that would last. Zechariah 9 became part of that picture of who the king should be and what that moment would be like. And in fact, as the disciples come and, and they have uh, the two beasts, the, the colt uh, and the donkey, and you know, they lay the, 
garments, their cloaks on them, and, and Jesus set on them. That, that picture is, in fact, very reminiscent of Solomon. And as Solomon came into his coronation, how he wrote into his coronation is, is very um, consistent. You know, this, incidentally, this language here of, of um, you know, the question of did Jesus ride on two beasts simultaneously? Um, no, he, he, uh, John and Mark, you know, tell us uh, he rode in on one. Um, and it was very common for a colt, if a colt was unbroken, to be tethered to um, the mother. And, and this is sort of the scene. That is happening in. It'd be, it'd be like coming in, you know, if we were saying, how did you get into uh, church today? Well, I came in on a, a, a truck and a trailer. Well, you really came in on one. Right? You weren't in both simultaneously. Uh, but you came together. And this is how Jesus is coming in. And isn't just the how that is important. Right? The emphasis isn't just how he comes in, but it's the what and the why of the how. He's coming in with all the trappings of a king. A king coming to his coronation. A king of, in the nature of Zechariah 9.9. And the crowds get it. The crowds understand what he's doing. They, they perceive rightly the image that Jesus is presenting. Notice in, in verse 8, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and, and spread them on the road. You know, that's how we get Palm Sunday. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The crowds understand what he's doing. This laying down of the cloaks, this laying down of the palm branches, this sort of setting the red carpet, if you will, for Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem is right and appropriate, the arrival of a king. In in this ancient culture, when a king was coming in to a city, not a king sort of as a, a, a conqueror to take over a city, but coming into his own city coming into his kingdom, as the king would approach, the people would rush out of the city gates to accompany him in, to be part of his escort and entourage as he came the last miles. And you would lay down your cloaks as a gesture of submission that you are king. And you would lay down the palms. They get it. They understand it. And look what they're shouting. The crowds are shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Son of David being a a name for the Messiah, for the king. This reference to Hosanna, uh, you know, to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, that comes from Psalm 118, 25 through 26. We're not going to turn to that here. uh, But Psalm 118, 25 through 26 is what the crowds are saying. They're, they're proclaiming this psalm, a psalm that would have been part of their festival celebration, and they're proclaiming it to Jesus. When I'm talking about crowds here, I'm talking about an enormous number of people. 
Archaeologists estimate that Jerusalem, the normal population of Jerusalem, was probably around uh, 75,000, maybe 125,000, somewhere in that neighborhood. But on um, festival season, the city would swell with pilgrims. Uh, estimated swelling to 150,000 to maybe three-quarters of a million or more people would, would pack into Jerusalem. The, the crowds are here for the Passover, and they, they see Jesus arriving not as a pilgrim. They see Jesus arriving as a king, and it must have been a fantastic scene. Because here was this Jesus, I mean, whose fame, whose reputation was spreading. I mean, he was the one who could feed the thousands. He was the one who could speak to the weather and it would obey. He was the one who could heal with the touch, who could call a man out of a grave. He was the one who could speak with authority, unlike the scribes, who could talk of God in a way that no one else had. And he was coming in the gesture of Zechariah 9.9. And so they're they're proclaiming Hosanna. And and Hosanna here is an Aramaic term of a a Hebrew word that translates a couple of ways. Save us, sort of the original idea. Hosanna meant save us. It also, by this time, has a, um, an idea of praise and honor. So it's sort of a conflation of the two. Save us, you know, praise and honor to you, the one who can save us. Sort of that idea. Hosanna to Jesus. Blessed is the agent of God. The one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest is a, is a call that the um, angels themselves, that heavens would join in. It must have been an amazing scene. Uh, I like how Matthew continues to describe it. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. It's not the first time Matthew tells us about all of Jerusalem's stirring. Earlier in his gospel, in fact, much earlier in his gospel, all of Jerusalem will stir. There will be wise men, the magi, who come from the east. They will come to Herod, and they will ask of Herod, where is this one who is born king of the Jews? And and Herod will be agitated by this. And Matthew tells us, and all of Jerusalem stirred. Interesting, isn't it? The beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Where is this one born king of the Jews? And all Jerusalem stirred. Here, as we come to the, the final part of Matthew, the king is arriving. And all of Jerusalem stirs. I've never been a part of something like that. Maybe you have. Where there is the arrival of someone that, that causes such a ripple that the, the entire 
population just rushes out to be near this figure, to be a part of what's going on. I've seen, you know, uh, when Muhammad Ali, for example, went to Africa, and there would be just villages that would just pour out to be part of his escort. It must have been an incredible and an exciting place to be. And Matthew finishes it up by saying, people would ask, who is this that's causing the entire city to stir? And the crowds would answer, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And we maybe we have a hint here of what the crowds are missing. We'll talk about this a little bit more in a second by calling him a prophet. But they've always called him a prophet. When Jesus asks the disciples, who do the people say that I am? Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But here, they are calling him a prophet, and they are calling and acting as if he's king. They're calling him son of David. They understand he's coming in in a kingly manner. Must have been incredible. And I think the picture of this moment is why we love Palm Sunday so much. We love the idea of a, of a half a million people proclaiming Hosanna to Jesus. We love that. That, that strikes a chord with us. That seems so right. We love the words that they are saying. But that is also what makes this moment one of the most pitiful moments in the gospel. Because you see, the crowds, they have the how, but they don't have the what and the why. They have the how. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they don't have the what and the why. They are caught up in the moment. See, for them, their desire was that the Messiah would come and would rescue them from Rome, from the occupying state government, would rescue them from... uh, Corrupt leaders. That was what they wanted. That was who the Messiah was supposed to be. That's what it meant to be king. That's what they were caught up in. And soon, things will begin to change. As it becomes more and more evident that Jesus is not going to be this type of of king that Jesus didn't come to be the political king as it becomes more and more evident that Jesus is not going to be starting a revolution is not going to be rallying the populace against Rome and the establishment things will begin to change instead of the throngs pressing in on Jesus honoring him Jesus will become the one forsaken, alone. 
Instead of the uh, shouts, save us, Hosanna, save us, will come the taunts. He saved others. Let's see if he can save himself. Instead of the laying down of the garments so that Jesus' feet doesn't have to touch the dirt, will come the ripping of the garments and the gambling over his clothes. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Will become a mockery. He is king of the Jews. The gentle wood of the palm frond will give way to the hard old wood of the cross. And Hosanna will become crucify him. The crowds were caught up in the moment. We know what that's like, right? We know what it feels like to be caught up in a moment. We get caught up in moments all the time. We get caught up in great moments and small moments. My wife, my angelic, near-perfect, always-composed wife can get caught up in a fourth-grade Little League baseball game, right? Can get caught up in the fact that the opposing team's parents have the audacity to be cheering as their sons get hits off her son who is pitching, right? It's a fascinating transformation that takes place in those moments. It's a little awkward sometimes as well. But we know what it's like to get caught up in the moment. About a year ago, I was on the North Shore. I was coming home from work, and I stopped off at the North Shore Mall. Did whatever errand I had to do, and then decided I needed a coffee for my way home, as you do. So I went to the Dunkin' Donuts there at the mall. I was the only customer. Uh, there, were, there were two women who were working uh, at the time, and they were involved in a rather animated conversation with each other uh, that I wasn't following because it was in Spanish. I come up to the counter. The woman hands me my coffee. And for some reason that I still not sure why, I said to this woman, gracias. If you don't count the first five numbers in Spanish, I had just given her 25% of my Spanish vocabulary. But I must have done it in such a way that the, the two ladies thought I knew Spanish. So they start having this conversation and they invite me in to this conversation. Now the right thing for me to do at that point, the honest thing for me to do at that point, is to imply that I don't know kind of what they're talking about, thank them and move them on, move on my way. Well, as they pause in the conversation, I look at the woman quite sincerely and I say, see. Sí. <laughs> no idea. 
I am caught up in the moment. The, the conversation continues, and there's a pause in the conversation to which I say, see. <laughs> and I must be saying the right word because they are clearly indicating that I am now agreeing with them. Like, they're affirming that. And at this point, I'm, I'm fully committed. I, I, what can I do at this point? I, I have to um, just play this out to where it will go. And, and the conversation starts to end, and, and I know I must, I must leave this situation. It is, it is too much. And so as the final pause in the conversation, and they look at me, and I look back at them, Denada. And I walk away to, to much, you know, celebration by these women. I had no idea. But you see, that's the point, right? That's what's happening here. I was saying words that were right. The how was correct, but no idea of the what and the why. The crowds are saying words that are correct, but no idea of the what or the why. You see, for them, the the king was to come to rescue them from Rome, not be crucified on a Roman cross. For them, the idea of a Messiah crucified was a stumbling block. It was impossible. What they missed was that this was why the king came. What they don't see is they're busy looking at themselves as a victim. They think they're a victim. They're victims of Roman oppression. They're victims of the establishment and their rule of power. And that is not the case. They're not victims in need of, you know, Christ the victor. They are themselves the enemy of Christ. Just as we are when we have sin and disobedience in our heart, our sin requires justice. We're not the victim. We're not in need of rescue from anything else but the justice that is due us because of our sin and our disobedience. That is what we need rescue from. We need rescue from our own heart and the judgment that is due it. They didn't see that the cross was not an accident of history. The cross was not another manifestation of the powers of this world crushing the weak. The cross was the coronation of the king. It was the presence of his sovereign power. It was king and king crucified. And it isn't just the crowds that would get carried away in the moment. Jesus' own would follow similar. As the weeks, as this week of passion would play out, one would betray him and another one would deny him. You know the story of Peter. Peter, chosen by name from Jesus. Peter, who saw the entire 
ministry of Jesus. Peter, who heard the Sermon of the Mount. Peter, who walked on water because of Jesus. Peter, whose mother-in-law was healed by Jesus. Peter, who saw the demons cast out. Peter, who saw Jesus heal the many. Peter, who, of Jesus says to him, when Peter replies to the question, who do you say that I am? And, Jesus, and Peter says, you are the king. And, and, P, and Jesus honors him. This Peter, this Peter who saw Jesus transfigured with Moses and Elijah. This Peter who said, there is no way I will deny you. When it comes time, and Jesus will be on trial. And Jesus will be heading to the cross. This Peter, standing around a fire, when approached by a slave girl, and accused of being with Jesus, this Peter will cower. This Peter will deny he knows Jesus, will deny he knows Jesus, will curse Jesus. You see, even for Peter, there was this being caught up in the moment. Even for Peter, walking with Jesus, there still was being this caught up in the moment on who Jesus was supposed to be. And the cross didn't fit. We do this. Church, we do this. The church has always done this. Where we domesticate Jesus. Where we want to make him sort of fit our picture of who Jesus should be. Where we make Jesus want to fight the battles we think he should fight. In the manner we think he should fight it. We take Jesus and we put him in our political party. We take Jesus and we conscript him into our patriotism. We take Jesus and we um, requisition him into whatever issues are facing the world, whatever issues that are of amazing importance. I mean, the great ills of society, when we look at the human rights violations that are occurring, when we look at places that are full of abject poverty, subsistent living, when we see war-torn for generation lands, we, we grieve over that, and then we take Jesus, and we want to make him fix the problem in the manner that we want it fixed and how we want it fixed. But know this, Jesus came to fix the greatest threat to all of humanity, and that is the sin and the disobedience that is in our heart. That Jesus speaks justice and salvation into these issues, but he does it through the cross. We, the church, is never more arrogant, nor more shallow than when we better reflect the trajectories of society than the bedrock of Christ and Him crucified. We get caught up in the moment and we 
domesticate Jesus. But he is the one who came riding in on the donkey, on the colt and the foal of the donkey. He is Zechariah 9 who has come. This week is going to be a great week. I love the week of Easter. There will be so much that we will be doing, that we will be involved in. There will be lots of fun and celebration and happiness. But let's be careful, brothers and sisters, that we don't get so caught up in the moment that we miss that we don't become so focused on the how that we forget the what and the why. It's going to be great. Families are going to gather. Friends are going to gather. We're going to have meals. We'll, we'll be hosting meals. You'll be hosting meals. People will be traveling. Right? Eggs will be painted. Eggs will be hidden. Some of them will be found. You know, I mean, it's... There's going to be a lot that's going on, and it's going to be wonderful. But let's not get caught up in the moment. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that the cross, that the death of Jesus and his resurrection isn't just part of this week. That I don't make it easy and palpable, something that is domesticated, that I don't dampen it, but rather my prayer is that we will be undone by the gospel. That his death and resurrection isn't simply the milk of our faith. It is the milk and the meat of our faith. My prayer is that when we gather together to proclaim his name, to sing Hosanna, we do it because we believe that he is Zechariah 9.9 who has come. That in him And in his wake is salvation and judgment. It is going to be a wonderful week. I hope and I pray that we will say genuinely and sincerely, Hosanna. To the one who comes riding on a donkey, on the colt, on the foal of a donkey. Let us pray. Father, thank you. God, thank you. Thank you that you sent your Son. Thank you that you sent the King. Lord, thank you that you sent the King 
to the cross. Jesus, thank you that you were obedient, that you, that you came in, that, that you fulfilled the great plan of God to bring salvation, that you came to the cross, Lord, so that you might save your people from their sins. Thank you that you are king and king crucified. A stumbling block and a foolishness, but the power of salvation to those who believe. Lord, thank you that the story even of the crowds and the story of Peter doesn't end with denial. Lord, thank you that after you rose again, you sought Peter out and as you said you would, as you told him you would, you reconciled Peter to you. Thank you, Lord, that is the power of your death and resurrection that would take this man who cowered cowered in front of a slave girl by her fire and in a matter of, of, of a short passage of time, in a matter of weeks, would stand in Jerusalem again and, and he would give one of the great sermons of our faith, Lord, that he would proclaim that you are Christ and him crucified and him risen. Lord, that is your power, your spirit. Lord, and that Peter would give this speech and the crowds, 3,000 of them, on that day would come, become part of your church and that you have continued to add to that number daily. Lord, this Easter, this coming Sunday, Lord, I pray that you will continue to from out of the crowds Add to that number. Lord, I, I desire that this church would, would boldly, boldly proclaim your name and that, that would, would share who you are and that uh, even on this Easter Sunday that hundreds would come and proclaim that you are king, king crucified. Lord, save us and protect us from our proclivity and desire to make you fit who we think you should be. You are king, Lord, and we are not. Help us to see the beauty of your rule, the glory of your reign. Oh, how great it is to be part of the people of the king. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one that rode in on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. It is in your name, Jesus, the name of the King, I pray. Amen.